0: Father, we are are debtors to Your mercy. For those of us who are in Christ, we are debtors to Your mercy for the salvation of our souls, the keeping of our souls. That we will not ever face Your wrath because of Your mercy. You have provided healing for us and salvation for us and we are thankful father as we open your word help us to see christ to know christ that we might live for christ and for your glory we pray these things in jesus name amen good morning grace fellowship church Uh, this week i was reminded of something that that challenged me and actually it's interesting because it would go right along with pastor nick's exhortation out of psalm 100 But as I prepared my pre-sermon this morning, it was way too long. So we are going to do something with that on Wednesday night. I just want to read a couple of passages and we'll get back to them on Wednesday night. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. With the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Just remember that we have examples in the Old Testament that are there for our our benefit. Uh, Philippians 2, 14 and 16. And then again, we will look at these things in depth on Wednesday. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud. I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So we'll do a second pre-sermon brief one because that one I'm not going to do. And then we'll get to the text. Um, this, this last Wednesday and or Tuesday in men's Bible study that the, the, the topic of smart or intelligent, I don't exactly remember how we got into that, but we were in Proverbs 26, and I think, uh, or 16, I think it was verse 26, that led us to a discussion about intelligence and being smart, and uh, when you think about that, what do you think of when you think of someone as being intelligent or being smart? One of the things I want us to do is try to continue to have our minds transformed to to use God's word to guide what we think. Um, You know, people say things like, you know, some of the most intelligent people I know don't know God, so that makes them a fool. Well, it depends on what you're using as your standard for the word intelligence. And I would argue they're not intelligent. And I'm not trying to mince words, I'm actually trying to get us to think about what it truly is to be smart. More intelligent. Intelligence is defined in Webster's as the ability to learn or understand or to deal with new and trying situations. Okay? The ability to learn or understand or how to deal with new and trying situations. It's one of the definitions for intelligence. Uh, Another one. Ability to apply knowledge to manipulate one's environment or think abstract, abstractly as measured by objective criteria. Okay, so so intelligence as defined in, in Webster's is learning or understanding how to deal with life around you, to apply knowledge to manipulate an environment. Well, I'm going to argue that true intelligence, being smart, is what we talk about Biblical wisdom, like using God's truths to navigate the lives that we live in, to learn how to apply God's words to our lives is the only measures of intelligence that matters. Again, I'm not trying to mince words. I understand somebody has 172 IQ, they're thought to be brilliant. If they don't know Christ, they're not intelligent. They're not smart. They can't apply truth to their lives. They may be able to, I don't even know. So i say things that show I'm not very intelligent. Use the Pythagorean theorem to, to solve some problem. I cannot. But just because, one, just because one can, we do not need to call them intelligent. I would like us to have our children understand what true intelligence and true wisdom is, has very little to do with what they're learning scholastically, and everything to do with what they're learning about who God is and who they are. What I'm not saying is not to learn scholastically. What I am saying is that's not where intelligence lies. And and most people I'm around, that is the standard that we've been told to use. A PhD or a high IQ or a good SAT score or being good at trivial pursuit. Being good at trivial pursuit is exactly that. It's a trivial pursuit. And, And again, we value people that can be good at... man. You can win Jeopardy? Man, you're really smart. If you don't know Christ, you're a fool. How do we want to measure intelligence and smartness? Let's change how we measure that, how we think about that, that we might, that we might actually become more intelligent. That we might actually have the ability to learn and understand how to deal with new and trying situations from this that we might have the ability to apply knowledge from this to manipulate our environment, to think abstractly as measured by objective criteria, this criteria. So, let's work on being intelligent. Let's chase after true wisdom. Let's really be smart. Let's teach our kids the same. Let's value what God values. Amen? All right, we are coming to, we're going to Luke chapter 9 today. We're coming to a new phase in Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, For about 18 months, Jesus has been traveling around Judea and and Galilee, and He's been preaching the kingdom of God. Uh, He's been preaching repentance and, well, sin and repentance and forgiveness of sins. He's been healing diseases, casting out demons, raising the dead, controlling wind and waves and fevers. He's gotten a huge following. uh, So, so large a following that like we looked at the last few weeks, he went across the Sea of Galilee to the eastern side of the land of the Gentiles uh, where there wasn't quite a following and seems to take a break and they chased him out and didn't want him there anymore because he cost them too much with their pigs. And then he went back, and immediately was met by this this group that was just anxiously awaiting for him. And he he got back, and he said, such a crowd he couldn't even hardly go to heal Jairus' daughter without the crowd stopping him and somebody else touching him and healing the woman. So there's there's this huge crowd that's now following, following Jesus. And 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 uh, he he is about to set his face. On Jerusalem he's about to set his face on the cross so his his ministry in Galilee is coming to a close and as his ministry in Galilee is coming to a close he sends messengers out into Galilee Jesus Jesus messengers are sent out so stand and I will read, read Luke 9 1 through 6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. You may be seated. There's lots to look at in this passage. Father God, I pray that your spirit would move upon us and that your word would go forth with power. Father, I pray you would help me to be a faithful preacher of your truths, rightly dividing these Scriptures, that your people could be built up and and they could be equipped for the ministry that you've given them to do. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as I mentioned before, Jesus knows that he's soon going to be headed towards Jerusalem. And, and he wanted to do a final blitz into Galilee and, and get the gospel out before he went south. So today's passage, we, we see the apostles are empowered and sent out. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal Back in chapter 6 of Luke's gospel, we saw where Jesus, remember, um, had a night of prayer, stayed up all night praying with God, and, and when he came down from from his time of prayer, he came down and he he commissioned or chose 12 apostles out of the huge following of disciples he had. And he chose 12 men out of them that, uh, were going to be specially, they were specially chosen. We saw them by name. We'll see it right here. He called these 12 together in Matthew's Gospel um, in, of this same event. He says, and he called him, his 12 disciples, mathetes, a disciple, a follower. A person who's a disciple or follower of someone. So he, he called these 12 mathetes. These were mathetes. These were learners. They were part of this big group of learners. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles. So there in Matthew in the same section, unlike Luke's in 6 and then here, you see these mathetes are then turned into apostles. They don't stop being mathetes, but they, they, are, they are called something different. They are now called apostles. Apostolos, messenger, envoy, one cent. A special messenger of Jesus Christ. A restricted group, the exact number variously reckoned. So these men, Simon who was called Peter, Andrew's brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve disciples were specially selected by Jesus and called out to be apostles. His special messengers. Twelve specific men. Twelve men chosen by Jesus directly, by himself. They, they were taken out of this larger group. These twelve had a very special purpose, to be his messengers, his envoy, his sent ones. These men, minus Judas and replaced by Matthias and then eventually Paul, built the foundation of the church. These were the men that then set up the foundation of the church on the cornerstone of Christ. These men actually would write, they and their, their traveling partners would write the New Testament. These 12 men had a very special calling by God, by Christ himself, specifically for, to be his messengers. No one is ever so called again. These 12, and then one replaced, and then Paul added, this is it. All called specifically by Jesus for a specific task. And this is important. We all understand this, but the people you may talk to actually don't understand this very well sometimes. There is no such thing as a modern-day apostle. There's no such thing as anyone who has the powers that he gave these men specifically for a specific purpose that has these powers any longer. And it's important that we understand this. And it's important that as we one of the things we walk away with today is, is the ability to talk to someone about this topic and help them to see they're wrong. They're lying if they're calling themselves an apostle. They're lying if they believe they have been given by Jesus the power to heal and to cast out demons. Power or even the assignment. This assignment was given to these 12 specific men. And they're named by name. And here's what He gave them. He called the 12 together. He gave them power. He gave them didomai, to give, to grant, to supply, to furnish, to appoint. He granted them. He supplied them with. He he furnished them with power. Dunimas. We've seen this word many times where we get the word dynamite from. He gave them strength, power, and ability. Jesus gave these 12 men special power from that which he possessed as God. And not just power, but also authority, exousia, a jurisdiction, power. The domain or sphere of, over which one has authority, control, or rule. Again, this is important. He gave these 12 men. He gave them dunimas, He gave them power. And he gave them authority. He gave them jurisdiction. Dominion over all demons and to cure diseases. He gave these 12 specific men, specific power and authority to do certain things. They were not given power to save anyone. They were not given power over government. They were not given power over God's creation. They were given power. They they weren't given power over to, to raise from the dead. Later we will have that, but now they aren't. They, they aren't given power to control winds and waves or pigs and fish. They were given power for two things, over demons and to heal. And by the way, the word for heal is therapueo, not so-so. It's therapy. It's healing. It's a physical healing. By the way, you see here also over all demons and diseases, and to cure diseases, which shows us that all diseases aren't caused by demons. These are two separate categories. Now we've seen in Scripture some diseases are a manifestation of demonic control. But most of the illnesses that we have around us, most of the illnesses for all time is simply a result of the fall. We're all dying. So sickness and illness, those are two separate Issues And so this authority, this this exousia, was given specifically to these 12 men for specific things. Now, what exousia have all Christians been given? So we look in the New Testament, we look at exousia when it's not applied to Jesus or the disciples or the apostles. When it's applied more generally... Where do we see this word exousia, this authority? In Matthew 28, 18. Now, this is a passage that many people use, they misuse, to claim they've been given power over demons, diseases, or governments, or land masses. Here's what it says in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, these Disciples, these apostles, all authority, authority, exousia, all exousia in heaven and on earth has been given to you. It's not what he says, is it? It's all been given to me, Jesus says. Jesus, I have all authority over heaven and earth. I have it all. And I ain't giving it to you. Here's what I'm giving, here's what I'm commanding you. I have all authority, here is my command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We have been given a command by the one who has authority. We have not given authority to make disciples. We've been given a command by the one who has all authority. So here's what we're to do. Go, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded in you. Commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The apostles, by extension, we, I would argue, have been given commands to make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. That's what we're supposed to do. We are to to make disciples. We are to make learners of God's truths. We are to make learners of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to baptize the ones that believe in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're to... Teach them everything that Christ commanded. That's what we're to do. There is no dominion over God's entire creation given us here. There's no authority over it given us here. There's no dominion mandate here. There's simply these things that we are to do. So exousia. We don't have any authority there. Christ has the authority and we're given commands. So here's where we do see, I would argue, exousia or authority given in general to all believers. John 1.12 But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the exousia, the right, the authority to become children of God. We have been given the authority, the right, the power, I'm sorry, the authority to become God's children. That's our exousia. That's our authority. To call ourselves children of God, to be children of God. We, we see this word. It was very interesting for me to do this because finding this word exousia, which is used quite often and applying it to general, generally, not specifically, It's not very many places in the New Testament. Here's another place that it is. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But take care that this right, exousia, authority, this authority of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. We have been given the authority to eat whatever meat. We have the authority to eat whatever we eat. We have some freedoms that God's given us. And what he says here is you have that authority. You have that right. You can eat anything, but you also have the freedom to give it up for the weaker brother. That's not a lot of power, is it? Not a lot of authority, is it? I have the authority to eat of meat that's been sacrificed to idols, but I also am told, but give it up if it's going to bother a weaker brother. So even that authority is, that right is pretty limited. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see exousia, authority, given to all Christians over demons or diseases or of any of other God's creation. We don't see it. It's made up when people want to live in that place. And that's the charismatics, and that's what I would call the Dominionists. They're both making it up. It's not there. This power and authority that we're looking at here was given specifically to 12 men for a specific reason. Here's the reason. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So picture it. He pulls the 12 in and he, whatever he did, set it, laid hands on. We just know he granted them. He furnished them with power. Dunimas, and authority over all demons and diseases. And then he sent them out to cure people because of his great compassion and because he wants people to live better lives now. It's not what he does. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. What he sent them out to do was proclaim the kingdom of God. They were given power and authority over demons and diseases to affirm what they preached. We won't do it today. We've done it before. Look back at all the times you see miraculous works done. All the way back to Moses and the staff. It was so that the message he was bringing would be believed. That this is God's message. You don't see a lot of miraculous works in the Bible. If you go through the Bible, when you see them, it is to to affirm a messenger of God. It's exactly what's happening here. You're being given these powers that you would go preach. And the affirmation of what you're preaching being true is you will do you will cast out demons and you will heal people. To preach and to heal, not to heal and to preach. Think about the charlatans you know of. They rarely preach. Never, I've never really heard sin, repentance, and forgiveness. But whatever they do preach is, is is a second fiddle to whatever healing they say they're doing. We're to preach they were to preach and then heal. Their primary assignment was to preach the kingdom of God. Preach. Proclaim the kingdom of God to proclaim Caruso to announce to proclaim to announce in a formal or official manner by means of a herald. Or one who functions as a herald. Preach, proclaim with the goal to persuade, urge, warn to comply. They were to do the very same thing that Jesus was doing. Luke 8.1 Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went throughout the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news. Proclaiming, Caruso, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. So he has been having these 12 that he's he's specially called apostles. They've not preached. They've not taught. They've not healed. They've been kind of called out and set aside, and yet they're just walking along. And remember in Luke 8, 1, who else was there? Some women. Mary Magdalene, Susanna, Joanna. But by the way, they weren't preaching or healing, were they? Those other ones that were with them, they weren't the 12 that were called out for this specific purpose, these specific men. So these 12 men, they had been with Jesus, they had been listening, they had been learning, they had been watching in order that they then could go out and herald the same message Jesus had proclaimed. As his official representatives, with power and authority over demons and diseases, go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. Go out and proclaim the Sin and repentance and salvation. The Apostle Paul, who was also appointed directly by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus, he was to do the same thing. Preach the kingdom of God. Sin, repentance and salvation. Now, look, Paul did miraculous things. He healed a crippled Boy, crippled man, I should say. He cast out demons of of that slave girl. He had a handkerchief that had touched him. If it went out, it would make people well. He raised a man from the dead. But but his job was to go out and proclaim the kingdom. In Acts 28, 30-31, at the end of Paul's... When he got to Rome, the last place he would end up, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed in all who came, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul, again, 2 Corinthians 2.12, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. This was Paul's as the apostle. This is what he was appointed and anointed to do. He was empowered with healing and, and powers, and, and but he was to be going out to proclaim this message. Preach the same message that Jesus did. Paul says in Romans 15, he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Christ has through me brought Gentiles into the kingdom by word, by the preaching and deed, by some miraculous things I did, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul says, look, I, I do signs and wonders. I have the gospel go forth. I do signs and wonders to affirm the message that people might be saved. Word followed by deed. The reason for the power to do miraculous signs and wonders was to validate His message. Same thing for Jesus. Same thing for the apostles. It says in John 10, 37. Jesus says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. Look, I've been telling you some stuff. I've been preaching you the kingdom of God. I've given you these words. But hey, and then I've been doing these miracles. If I haven't been doing these works, then don't believe me. But if I do them... Even though you do not believe me, believe the works. Listen, let these works affirm the message. Let these miracles affirm what I'm telling you, Jesus says. These apostles, let this message, let these miracles affirm this message. The point is the message. The point isn't the miracles. So again, all these charlatans run around with healing ministries, which the whole point is just to bring healing and Wealth and whatever else into someone's life that has nothing to do with sin, repentance, and salvation. It's it's a lie. It's not what we see in Scripture. Jesus says, "If If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. The miracle Jesus did were to prove that he was God and that his message was from God. The miracles were always preceded by and in support of the message of sin, repentance, and salvation. The kingdom of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Same thing for these 12 that were sent out. The miracles weren't the point. The message is the point. John 20, 30, 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written. John says, look. Jesus did lots of miracles. I've written down a few of them, seven or eight, depending on how you're counting. And they've written down for a purpose. Here's why they're written down, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The miracles were written about Jesus, that the message of Jesus Christ would be believed. So, so we, we, not given the power over demons and healing, We have a job to do, and that is to proclaim the very same message. Sin and repentance and salvation. That's the message we are to, and we don't need the miracles to validate them. Why don't we need the miracles miracles to validate them? Because we have the Word of God. From those who did the miracles, witnessed Jesus' life, and wrote down for us everything that's true. So we no longer need that validation. The validation's in my hand but the message must go forth these 12 13 special men they were they were given special powers for a specific reason that was for da- validation to the preaching they were giving and it was true and it was real and it was happening just like tongues were needed when there was no word of god so there were still people in in the the new testament times with prophetic words we don't need them anymore we have what we need we have all that we need but these 12 13 men in god's providential plan they needed these miracles to affirm the message that some might believe So Jesus, he's given power and authority over all demons and diseases to these twelve men, and now he sent them throughout Galilee to preach sin, repentance, and salvation. And then he gives some more instruction. And to heal, to affirm that. Then he says, This travel light, God will provide. Verse 3. And he said to them, take nothing. For your journey. No staff. That could either be a rod for protection. Or it could be a walking stick. Nor bag. That bag would have been a beggar's bag. You don't need to take a bag to beg for money. Nor bread. Don't take any food with you. Don't take any money with you. Silver. The word there is for silver. Don't take any money. And do not have any extra clothes. Don't have two tunics. Travel light. He tells them. You have a job to do. It's to go out and preach the gospel, heal and cast out demons in order to affirm that gospel message and you're not to worry about your physical care. You're not to concern yourself with your physical needs. Don't concern yourself with the things that are necessary to sustain and protect you. In Matthew's accounting, it says, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. nor bag for your money, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In other words, Matthew is saying, listen, Jesus saying, listen, guys, God will provide your food. You don't need to pack up for a bunch of stuff. Your job is to proclaim the gospel. Heal, cast out demons. That will bring with it people giving you things. God will provide. You don't need to worry about that. You have a primary job. And I don't want to take that too far because I think we can take it too far. I think some people do. But but look, for us, we have jobs to do. And we're not to concern ourselves with all these things that we think we need. God will provide. We spend far too much time worrying about the things that we need physically, I would argue, than we do the proclamation of the gospel. In John chapter 9, verse 4 says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. The time in Galilee was drawing to a close. There were still souls to be saved. Hope to be given. Judgment to be poured out. Travel light. Preach and heal. Next they are to pronounce judgment on the rejectors. First, he instructs them, and whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. This has to do with what he just talked about, travel light. And whatever house you go to, you stay there until you leave the town. You don't go from house to house. It seems like an unnecessary instruction. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but to them it would make a lot of sense. Here's what happened back then. Rabbis are different different teachers or important folks or uh, false prophets would, would go from town to town and they would, they would go into a, a house. They, the, if the rabbi stayed in your house, you would give him money for blessing you. And then he would move to the next house. And they would give him some things for being there, food and money and clothing and such to take with him. Go to the next house. Jesus says, look, no, you're not doing that. Because remember, you're not going to worry about your physical needs. You're going to go, whatever house you go in, you're staying there until you leave that town. You're not jumping to house to house to try to get people to give you something. I believe it's in Matthew's Matthew's gospel. He talks about freely it's been given. You receive without paying, give without pay. Give without pay. You received Without paying, you didn't pay anything for your relationship with me, for your discipleship, for your salvation. Go and give this same gospel message for free. Don't bounce from house to house looking for something. Then he says this, And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet, As a testimony against them. When you go into a town. And they will not receive you and your message. Then you leave and you shake the dust off your feet. Now again we kind of have some idea. Maybe some of us in here what that means. It was an idiom that these people would have recognized well. It was an idiom in in Jewish culture. About shaking the dust off the feet. When When a Jew would travel outside of Israel when they would go outside of the, the boundaries of Israel, when they would return into Israel, they would literally stop at the border, they would take their shoes off, and they would pound the dust off to not bring the dirty, Gentile, pagan soil into the Holy Land. Okay? They would not bring in this pagan, Gentile soil into the Holy Land. So they would knock the dust off their feet. Remember when, when Moses was told, take your shoes off, you stand in a holy place. Don't defile this holy place with the dirt from your shoes. To this day, Israel is called the Holy Land, yes? So so this was an idiom that these Jews would have known well, that shaking the dust off of one's feet was a sign of, I'm exiting pagan, dirty people, and I'm going into holy place, holy land, God's land Now why was this judgment why is Jesus telling them to do this how would this be judgmental look at, look at Matthew's gospel again 10 verse 5 these 12 Jesus said and instructed them go nowhere among the gentiles and enter no town of the samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand so when he sent them out did they go into gentile lands So when they returned, they would need to shake off the dust from these dirty, nasty places back into God's land. No, they went only to Jewish towns, only to Jewish towns. So when they would go into a Jewish town and they would leave the Jewish town, and they would knock the dust off their feet in the witness of all of these folks. What is he saying to them? You're pagans, you're Gentiles, you're dirty. I'm not taking your filth with me. But wait, we're Jewish yeah, you're not God's people. It was judgment. This was a very strong judgment that Jesus telling the apostles, if they won't receive you, you shake the dust off your feet and you go on. We often use this loosely in our culture. However, there is a sense in which someone rejects the gospel long enough, God's done with them, and we are to move on and say, you know what? I'm done. You're showing yourself to be a rejecter of the good news of Jesus Christ. I shake the dust off and I move on. In Matthew's accounting again of this this event, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay until you depart. So if you go into a town, find out who's worthy. Who, who receives the message. As you enter the house, greet it and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. So you you're at peace with the, the people you're staying with if they're receptive to the truth of God's word. if not, you don't you tell them you don't you don't say shalom when you go. You don't know there is no peace. You don't say peace, peace when there is no peace. you leave and you take your peace with you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Again, the thing we just talked about. It is, (laughs) I'm leaving now, apostle would say. Apostles, they went out two by two. (slaps) Judgment. Then he says this. (laughs) Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. He's telling the apostles... The judgment is going to come upon the people that have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of sin, salvation, and forgiveness of sins, not through Judaism but through a Messiah, the message of the kingdom of God that they're receiving. The people that reject that, they're going to have worse judgment than even the the, the sulfur turning of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see Jesus talk about Bethsaida or about uh, Tyre and Sidon. They never heard the gospel. This is something everybody in here needs to hear me say. At some point, God will be done with you. You keep rejecting the message that God gives you of sin, and repentance and salvation. At some point, God will be done with you, and your judgment is going to be far worse because you've heard the good news and rejected it. And some of you need to hear me right now. God is not patient forever. And I don't have discernment, nor does anyone in here to know who God has turned away from. But I do know this. This gives me an occasion to give you a strong warning. don't make it that your parents or your pastor or your brethren around here would shake the dust off of their feet in judgment. Because if you don't believe, you will be destroyed. Same thing that... Paul and Barnabas they shook off the dust from their feet against them the Jews in Antioch remember they were in Antioch and they they told the message they preached in the synagogue it was rejected they went out and told the Gentiles the Gentiles rejoiced and they shook the dust off of their feet as they left the Jews in, in, in Antioch and went to Iconium this this instruction given to the apostles was a very harsh statement that they would be making as they would leave a place where the message of hope they brought was rejected. It was judgment on those who rejected as they would leave. He called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The messengers go out. These 12, specially empowered, given authority, they go out to do what Jesus had just instructed them to do. Preaching and healing. And and what did they preach? Mark's gospel, Mark 6, 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed them with oil. Many who were sick and healed them. They preached repentance. They didn't preach healing. They didn't preach the love of God. The love of God is included in the message of forgiveness of sins. The love of God through the person of Jesus Christ, but the love of God is not for everyone. They preached repentance. You're a sinner. Separated from God because of your sin. Turn from your sin that you not be damned to hell. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that your sins may be forgiven. That's what they preached. You see, again, these charlatans that call themselves apostles and healers, they don't preach that. They preach, give me some money and I'll anoint your house. Give me some money and I'll make your leg grow back longer. Whatever nonsense they're peddling. And they go from house to house, venue to venue, collecting more money. Exactly not this. Exactly not this. Preach that people should repent. They preached the same message that John the Baptist preached John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel. Look, they the word of God does not bring any highlight to these 12 going out and healing diseases. They do do that and it says that, but what they're highlighting, what's being highlighted is they go out and they preach. They preach repentance and then these, these miracles are given as a proof text affirming the message that they preached. Acts 17.30, the time of ignorance or God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. This is the message they preached. This is the message I preach. This is the message, brethren, that we preach. We preach a message of sin, repentance, and salvation. And if you won't receive that message, your judgment will. Will be brutal forever and ever and ever. Oh, yes, there's a resurrection of the dead. You will get a new body, and that body will be designed to take on torment and never perish. Like burning in a fire, and your flesh never goes away. Like extreme depression and loneliness, and it never subsides. That's the body you'll be resurrected to. For all eternity, that's what you face if you reject this message of sin and repentance and salvation. I'm not a sinner. Yes, you are. Not that bad. Wicked. Standard is perfection. How you doing? Hopelessness. You can't be good enough. But God, in His mercy, in His love, sent His Son For those who would believe that they are sinners without hope, they would look to Christ and see His perfection, His perfect life, His perfect sacrifice, and they would put their hope and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And they'd be saved. And if they don't, judgment. Testimony against you. Worse judgment than those who never heard the gospel. Well, why would we ever send missionaries anywhere then? Let them die. They won't have as bad a... Ju- they're going to hell. Maybe not as bad a hell as the one sitting in here who reject the message, but they're going to hell. And the only thing that can save them is what? The good news of Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. I remember when Tanner was about... My son Tanner was about 12 years old. He had, he had an experience of fear and thought maybe he was saved and sat and talked to him one night for a while. And then in a couple, three months, it became obvious and evident that he was no different. He didn't desire the things of God. He, his sin was no different and he wasn't repentant of it. And then I remember talking to him, I don't know, when he was 15 or something. And he said this to me. He said, Dad, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live it up Until I'm 37, like you were. And then I'm going to get saved. Now, God was very kind to Tanner. He was able to live until this last summer where he professed Christ. But he wasn't promised tomorrow. That is no plan. If you sit there and think, well, I'll just live it up for now, I'll do what my flesh wants for a while, and then I know I'll come at some point and I'll get right with God. What, what, what if your soul is required of you tonight? Then what? There's a limit to God's patience. It is appointed for man to die once and then face judgment. And there is no purgatory and there is no second chance. It is while you're breathing. It is while you're in this body, your soul is in this body, that you must confess Christ as Lord. Because when you breathe your last, you will face judgment, and then there's no more time. You know, I I believe that there are things such as deathbed conversions. I believe they're real. I believe people on their deathbeds actually have believed on Christ for the salvation of their souls, the forgiveness of their sins. But don't count on it. Because what if your death is in a fiery plane crash? What if your death has died suddenly? He called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, travel light. Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. Don't go out selling the gospel. Don't go out selling your miracles. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And he departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Closing thought. As Jesus' ministry in Galilee is coming to close, he sent out his apostles to preach the gospel and heal everywhere in order to validate the message of hope they had. Those who did not receive the gospel would most likely never hear God's gracious offer of salvation again. Listen, in what was happening in that time, different than anybody in this room, probably, but some of my adult children, this is the case, they don't hear the gospel anymore. They don't come and hear the gospel. They hear the gospel from from me, but they don't don't hear the gospel. But here's here's what happened in this time. Jesus was leaving Galilee. His apostles were going with him. It was going to be a very long time until the message returned. So that generation wasn't going to get another shot. That's why they would shake the dust off. Listen now. Those who do not receive the gospel would most likely never hear God's gracious offer of salvation again. For anyone who has yet to receive God's offer of reconciliation through the person and work of Jesus, I beg you, do not harden your hearts, but rather repent and believe into Jesus Christ, God the Son. Look, I wrote that, so I read it. I beg you, I implore you turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins before it's too late and God's done with you. For those who know Christ, may we travel lightly as we carry the message of hope to the world around us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the clear truths that you present us with. May we live consistently with these truths, believing, believing you, believing the word. May it change us, Father. May your spirit move now that someone would receive the message of hope. Believe into Christ and be saved, that they not face your wrath, which is sure, if yes, they don't. You are a great God, and we love you. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hymn 419, hear the call of the kingdom. 419, hear the call of the kingdom.